the world of Islam, culture, religion, and politics. Welcome to the World of Islam podcast. This is Amin Tais. Today we continue discussing the contents of the Quran. In the last episode, we discussed the concept of God uh, and how it is featured in the Quran. Today, we will spend a few minutes presenting the concept of prophecy. Perhaps a good starting point is to place this concept of prophecy within the long history of the Near East. We have archaeological evidence showing us that the idea of one being a prophet has a very long history in this area of the world. Prophets, mostly men, but sometimes women, performed a number of acts and fulfilled a number of roles in a variety of times and places. Certainly, the concept of prophecy changed with time and here is not the place to tackle in any depth the history uh, of prophecy in the Near East. However, I would like to note an element that seems to generally um, accompany this role of prophet. It is the element of guiding or guidance. We have documents and inscriptions uh, that tell us about uh, powerful kings of the ancient Near East using um, sorts of prophets to make big political decisions, decisions of war and peace, of invasion or retreat, etc. Uh, some of these prophets uh, used the practice of ecstasy, um, which means reading the entrails of animals to prophesy about the future. Uh, and the goal here is to guide their kings to the right decision. Similarly, uh, we know of oracles who predicted the future of uh, their communities. And we have, of course, the well-developed biblical tradition of the prophets of Israel, uh, who prophesied about the future and, more importantly, acted as warners, uh, reminding the people of Israel about their obligations and their covenants uh, with God and the uh, and about the serious ramifications of erring from these obligations. So we see how the element of guidance uh, and the goal of guiding one's community in one way or another arguably remains a constant uh, and this prophetic guidance becomes tied to monotheism, uh, to the recognition of one all-powerful, all-knowing God uh, in the uh, biblical traditions, uh, at least uh, in the later uh, scriptural texts, since uh, early texts um, indicate that the early Israelites accepted a form of monolatry, uh, which means that they um, exclusively and consist consistently worshipped one God, uh, but at the same time they accepted the existence of other gods. Certainly, Judaism came to be a strictly monotheistic religious tradition, and this is 
the line in which the Quran positions itself. This does not mean that the Quran simply keeps the biblical narratives as they are. And I will get back to this uh, in some detail uh, in a little bit. What is certain is that the Quran not only accepts the notion of prophecy, but it sees this concept of nubuwa, prophecy, and uh, nabi, uh, prophet. This is the same term used in Hebrew. Uh, the Quran sees them as crucial to the system of existence because it is through a Nabi, plural Nabiyun or Anbiya, uh, it is through them that God passes his message to human communities according to the Quran. In the case of the Quranic message, there is a stress on the importance for the audience of the revelation to follow the person who is delivering God's word. The two terms used for this person delivering the message or the messages of God are uh, the uh, aforementioned Nabi and also the term Rasul, plural Rusul, which means messenger. These terms, Nabi and Rasul, could be interchangeable, although it could also be argued that a messenger uh, seems to have a more important role because he perhaps communicates the direct word of God. Later, Islamic theology uh, will develop further the uh, parameters that differentiate a Nabi from a Rasul, and some other distinctions become part of the orthodox Muslim understanding of prophecy. To go back to the great importance that the Quran gives to the Nabi or Rasul delivering the message, we must note that the Quran does not mention the name of Muhammad uh, except on four occasions. Uh, or five, if we count the alternative Ahmed. Why is this the case? Well, it's up for speculation uh, for historians. Some revisionist historians went as far as denying that a person by the name of Muhammad existed, and that this, and they argue that this name was imposed by later Muslims on the world of the Quran. But um, until further proof becomes available. This seems rather far-fetched. Uh, what I can say here, uh, as others have suggested, is that by using phrases like Ya ayyuhan Nabi, O Prophet, or Ya ayyuhan Rasul, O Messenger, or by using other descriptive terms like Nadir, uh, Warner, instead of using uh, the name Muhammad itself, it is possible that the Qur'anic discourse aims at focusing its audience on the role of the messenger rather than on the person of Muhammad. And it is the centrality and the importance of this role that dictates the bringing of earlier prophets into the discussion. And here I would like to highlight a few things. Number one, it seems to me that it is 
the success of the Arab prophets in passing that message to the original Arab audience that really matters to the Quran. The mention of other prophets, of earlier prophets, seems to be a strategy of support to Muhammad's mission. The stories about earlier prophets often parallel the life and mission of Muhammad with the same topoi, the same motifs used to show that there is a pattern that the listeners must pay attention to and that include the prophet receiving revelation, then calling upon his people to change their misguided ways and to worship one God, a call that most people would reject and would lead them to persecute or attempt to harm the prophet. However, ultimately, God's will prevails and the rejectors receive their um, deserved punishment while the prophet is victorious and his followers are rewarded for their patience. This is the pattern generally found in the narratives about earlier prophets in the Quran. Number two, the prophets that are mentioned in the Quran are mostly known biblical figures, although some might not have been necessarily or explicitly called prophets in the biblical books. So the biblical figures mentioned in the Quran as prophets include Nuh, Noah, Ibrahim, Abraham, Ismail, Ishmael, Ishaq, Isaac, Yaqub, Jacob, who, like in the Bible, is also called at one point uh, Israel, Israel. We also have Lot, Lot, Shu'aib, who is probably the biblical Jethro. Uh, we have Yusuf, Joseph, Musa, Moses, Harun, Aaron, Dawood, David, Suleiman, Solomon, Yunus, Jonah, Ayub, Job, Elias, Elijah, Elusa, Elisha, Idris, who is possibly Enoch, the biblical Enoch, um, Yahya, uh, John the Baptist, Zechariah, Zacharias, and uh, last but not least, Isa, Jesus. In addition, we have two Arab prophets that um, are not uh, part of the biblical world, but are known in Arab folklore, and these uh, are Hud uh, from the people of Ad and Saleh from the people of Thamud. Some of these prophets are only mentioned in passing or with very few details about them. This includes, uh, perhaps to the surprise of many, the figure of Ismail, Ishmael 
whose role is much bigger in the post-Quranic literature than it is in the Quran itself. Uh, other prophets are mentioned with more detail, but none of the stories provided uh, is a complete narrative in the way that these stories are in the Bible, with one exception, and that is uh, Yusuf, Joseph. The story of Joseph um, takes up the whole of the fairly long chapter 12 of the Mus'haf, and it's called Surat Yusuf. This narrative is described as Ahsan al-Qasas, uh, the best of myths or the best of stories. It must be also noted that uh, a number uh, of the details about the prophets are not in the biblical canon. Uh, some can be found in one form or another in non-canonical biblical books or in the Jewish Agadic Midrash. The Midrash is the commentary of the rabbinical sages um, on the verses of the Hebrew Bible. The Midrash generally falls into the two categories of Halakha, Jewish law, or Agadah, uh, narratives that explain what's not clear in the biblical text. So they uh, fill in the gaps in a way. So some of the details um, we find in the Quranic narratives can be found in the Agadic Midrash and sometimes in non-canonical books, books that did not make it to the closed canon of the Hebrew Bible. But here again, we must remember that the Qur'an uses these narratives for its own purposes. In other words, what matters more is not how faithful the Qur'anic stories are to what is known in earlier texts or earlier oral traditions, Instead, what matters is how these stories are molded to fit the message of the Qur'an and the situation of Muhammad and his community on the ground. That being said, uh, among the prophets whose presence is prominent in the Qur'an, but with um, different episodes of their narratives scattered around the Qur'an, uh, we find Abraham, Ibrahim, who is called Khalilullah, the friend of God, and uh, of whom the Qur'an, in a polemical tone, uh, says, um, this is in uh, chapter 3, verse 67, Surah Al-Imran, مَا كَانَ إِبْرَاهِيمُ يَهُودِيًّا وَلَا نَصْرَانِيًّا وَلَكِنْ كَانَ حَنِيفًا مُسْلِمًا وَمَا كَانَ مِنَ الْمُشْرِكِينَ Abraham was neither a Jew nor a Christian, but he was an upright submitter, and he was not of the idolaters. So Abraham is presented as someone who called upon his people to leave the worship of idols and to go back to the worship of the one true God, a message uh, for which, according to the Qur'an, uh, he would be thrown in fire 
only to miraculously come out unharmed because of God's intervention. Another episode that is recounted in the Quran is the well-known sacrifice episode known in the Bible as the binding of Isaac in which Abraham was on the verge of sacrificing his second-born Isaac who was his son from his wife Sarah he was about to sacrifice him on the orders of God only to be substituted at the end by a sacrificial animal. This story is also recounted in the Quran but the son of Abraham is not mentioned by name. Later Muslim scholars would maintain that um, the son was Ishmael who was uh, Abraham's oldest son uh, from his concubine uh, Hagar or Hajar uh, but the Quran itself is interestingly silent on the matter and does not mention the name of uh, the son in question. In all cases Abraham plays a monumental role in positioning the Quran within the genealogy of uh, biblical monotheism. Another prophet who is prominent in the Quran is Moses. Moshe in uh, Hebrew, Musa uh, in the Quran. Moses is mentioned more than any other prophet. He is presented as uh, the one who received the Torah a Taurat uh, from God and who talked to God at the burning bush. Uh, he is thus referred to as Kalimullah, the one who spoke to God. We also find in the Quran how he stands up to the Egyptian Pharaoh, uh, preaches uh, submission to the one true God and successfully leads the Israelites out of Egypt along the way splitting the sea for them to pass and closing it back on Pharaoh and his army so that they perish. It could be strongly argued that the Quranic narrative that mirrors the most the life of Muhammad in Islamic literature is the uh, Moses narrative. Another prophet who looms large in the Quran is of course Isa Jesus, uh, although the details about him are uh, mostly tied to a focus on the nature of Jesus, son of Mary, Isa ibn Maryam. That is the topic of a future episode. I leave you in peace. Assalamu alaikum.